Kreutzel. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week we chat to the subject of a book published last year entitled And Bring the Darkness Home. The book, written by Greg Millam and published by Pitch Publishers, tells the story of Tony Dell. He was a Vietnam veteran who played test cricket for Australia, but before he did both of those things, he lived for a few years in Cardiff. We are indebted to the Roth Local History Group and in turn Graham Barrett of the Once Upon a Time in the Ashes podcast who have highlighted the Welsh connection in Tony's story. There was much to talk about, but as the book points out, Tony spent many years suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of his time in Vietnam. This undoubtedly impacted on his memory, so this seemed like a good place to begin. Our experience in recording these podcasts is all about memory. It's all about reminiscence. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I know that that has some difficulties for you. I don't know whether you'd want to just spend a minute or two just explaining some of the problems you've had with remembering <clears throat> and why that might be so. I don't know. I mean, just over the years, um, I think with prompting, I can I can remember things. But um, straight off um, um, the bat, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, um, you know, I can't think of things. Um, you know, I mean, I've <clears throat> I took a lot of um, club wickets. I took a lot of um, uh, first class wickets, but um, the only ones I really remember um, are the ones I've got photographs of. Sorry, and I I don't remember a great deal of my my time um, in um, in Vietnam. Um, you know, there's there's incidents um, and probably the two that. Uh, um, have played on my mind and um, and uh, resulted in the PTSD um, are, are ones that I do remember and I think I talk about them in the book but um, you know I run into um, fellows now and then and said oh you know I remember playing cricket against you um, in the lines at Nui Dat well I don't um, so yeah I mean there's yeah, with a bit of prompting. Um... Let's go back to the 6th of August, 1945, which is your birth date, but also a very significant and notorious date. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, that was the day uh, the Americans dropped the uh, the bomb on, on Hiroshima. And uh, <clears throat> um, much later in my life, um, when uh, when I married my, my wife, Katie, um, her, um, her father... Um, was um, in the RAF um, in the UK and uh, was part of Bomber Command. And, um, I mean, he always used to call me Anthony Hiroshima Dell. But, uh, yeah, so that was... Um, I don't remember too much um, of my early childhood. My, uh, my father was in the Royal Navy. He got put in there uh, by his parents when he was 15 in 1934. And uh, five years later, as a 20-year-old, very similar to me. Um, he's um, he's in the middle of um, uh, a war um, in uh, in uh, in the Atlantic. Um, <clears throat> he never ever spoke about what he'd done. I mean, with me, I always thought. Uh, well, my wife always used to say, "Oh, you're just like your father." And this was um, sort of in the seventies and eighties. And um, I said, "No, I'm not. I'm no, I'm not." And uh, I mean, the thing with PTSD is that you tend to think that you're okay and it's the rest of the world that's out of sync. Um, and that was the way I thought about my dad. I mean, I, um, I couldn't see that um, my behaviour in any way resembled uh, his. 
your early years were, were in and around the New Forest in Hampshire? Yeah, we lived in some prefabs, uh, where, and I guess they were uh, military, built for the military um, and military families um, in, um, in Highcliffe, um, which is um, sort of right on the coast. Um, I mean, I can remember going down the beach and, uh, you know, you look straight across um, uh, the channel and there's the Isle of Wight. And, I, and, and that's where I learned to swim. I think it was a quite idyllic life, you know, after the war, my dad was still in the Navy for a while. Um, and then um, uh, once he got out, um, he started to work for, uh, for Hoover. Um, each Christmas when my dad was home, you know, I can remember sort of going in, um, in the car with him and into the New Forest and uh, chopping down a fir tree, which was our Christmas tree. On one occasion, we went to, to London um, and um, that was about the only time, you know, I met his father, who was my grandfather. So um, I spent 45 to maybe 54, 55 um, before we moved to Hemel Hempstead. Were you now playing we, any sport at that time, Tony? Um, I played the round ball game um, there. I really don't remember playing cricket much uh, at the school. Um, I was a left back, um, probably because I was a left footer. I mean, one of my memories is... Um, is the headmaster, Mr. Barker. I mean, he was a tall, rangy bloke. And um, because I was um, so much taller than the rest of the boys and uh, and probably a trifle ungainly, I mean, he'd, uh, he'd give me a hard time. Hey, Del, buddy, do this, do that, buddy. Uh, but the only real cricket I can remember um, is uh, at our house, which was on a corner of Chambersbury Road in Hemel Hempstead. I can remember playing, you know, lots and lots of uh, cricket during the, uh, uh, during the summer um, with, uh, with my friends. And you had brothers? Uh, um, I had two brothers and a sister, um, but, um, um, you know, I was born 45. My sister was born 47. Um, and my two brothers were born 50 and 51. So if we were in um, Emil Hempstead in uh, uh, sort of 54, 55, 56, um, they weren't big enough to play cricket. So, um, but because we played against a wall, I do remember that, you know, I wanted to be a wicketkeeper batsman. Um, but, but because we played on a wall, no need for a keeper. Um, and that's when I really first started bowling. And uh, I guess my first major memories of um, first-class cricket was, uh, was the 56 Ashes Tour, uh, when uh, you know, Laker got the 19 wickets in, um, in Manchester in that 56 series and then the 58-59 series. You know, uh, I remember um, sort of Wally Grout, Ken Mackay and Peter Burge and Ray Limwell. And when I first played um, club, um, first grade club cricket in Brisbane, um, Peter Burge was my captain and um, I played against Wally Grout and, um, and Ken Mackay. And Ray Limwell was a, was a family friend. And, uh, um, you know, I can remember one or two um, sort of sessions with him, you know, just giving me some tips on bowling. It was the Hoover connection that brought the family to Wales. Is that right? Yes. I mean, Dad, he was at headquarters in Watford and then um, he was sent to Cardiff um, as manager of the South Wales um, branch of Hoover. And um, I'm pretty, you know, there was a, uh, 
Hoover Manufacturing Plant at um, at Merthyr Tidville, um, which is a name I you can't forget, and uh, um, and and that's what took us there, um, and that's what um, Hoover eventually um, brought us to uh, to Australia. When you're in Cardiff, you went to the Howardian High School for Boys. Um, yes, yes. Was it was it a boys only school then? I would say so because um, at that stage, um, girls had started to interest me. And, um, and I can't remember going to school with any, uh, um, any girls. Um, <clears throat> I got into swimming a bit then. Um, and, um, and I do remember swimming in the uh, Welsh Schoolboy Championships in the new um, swimming um, pool that they built for the, uh, for the Empire Games in 1958 just skylarking and running around the side one day. Um, I slipped in the wet and uh, crashed down on my left knee, uh, cracked the patella, um, opened up the knee um, and spent weeks and weeks in, um, in hospital. You know, I mean, I was in a half cast to start off with because they had to wait for the, uh, for the wound to heal. And then um, six weeks in a thigh to... Uh, um, ankle cast, which um, you know negated any chance of playing any sport. You know, I can't remember whether it was um, summer or winter. Tell me a little bit more about the Commonwealth Games because you were involved in 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 the, uh, yeah, the yeah, games. Yeah, I was. I was. As a, as a I was a, I, yeah, I was a Boy Scout. Um, um, I think um, I joined a, a, a group down at um, at Roth Park. Yeah, and because um, I was a pretty good swimmer, I do remember. Um, going on a Boy Scout camp at one stage, and we had to somehow get um, a rope or a bridge or, or something um, across the River Taff. Um, and because I was a pretty strong swimmer, I was the one that had to swim across the Taff and secure it on the other side. But then the uh, the, the games came, and um, I don't know whether it was all Boy Scouts, um, but... Uh, um, I, uh, I became a, a messenger for the, uh, for the media. Um, so I had my bike and, um, and I just ride um, from mainly the swimming and the boxing. I do remember that. And Cardiff had been made a capital city in 1955 and the Empire Games were a very important kind of uh, part of them selling themselves to the world, if you like, as the capital yes. city of Wales. Yeah. Did any of that... Uh, atmosphere impress itself upon you as a young man? Never crossed my mind. I mean, that's the first. <laughs> that's the first I've heard of that. Okay. I mean, I was, I was a what, twelve, thirteen-year-old boy, and um, I was just um, caught up in the uh, um, in the atmosphere. You know, I mean, I um, I um, watched the boxing. Um, um, I saw the Australian um, Tony Madigan win the gold heavyweight medal. Um, and um, I think that was 58, 1960, um, in the final of the Olympics, he got beaten by Cassius Clay, later to be known as Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and I just remember a lot of the, uh, the famous Australian swimmers at that time. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, there was a brother and sister, um, John and Ilsa Conrad, a lady with the unfortunate name of Lorraine Crapp, and uh, Murray Rose, you mentioned dad was a, was a very keen uh, rugby player and enthusiast. You had a, yes. quite a famous Welsh rugby player who would sometimes call at the house. Yeah, Cliff Morgan. Dad became 
I mean, I think he was a um, he was an entertainer. I mean, he's a, he was an old jazz and song and dance man, and uh, um, he just used to put on these um, um, uh, commercial um, um, shows for uh, for the for the media and for the uh, um, um, and the shops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and uh, they were always at the uh, Angel Hotel, which was um, I think opposite, almost opposite the. Uh, the old entrance to Carter Farmers Park. Cliff Morgan and, and, and Will Fuller, um, who I think um, was captain of Glamorgan um, at some stage, I think, yes, was, right. also, was also tied heavily into, uh, um, into rugby. Did you watch any county crickets in Wales? Yeah, I mean, my favourite um, um, soccer team was Manchester United. Um, and uh, my uh, my favourite cricket team was Surrey, um, and I do remember sort of a, a three day Glamorgan Surrey match. You know, just sitting around the boundary, you know, watching the likes of um, Peter May and Kenny Barrington and Lock Lader, Laker, um, Loder, um, uh, etc. Um, and um, um, and I think Mickey Stewart's dad was the wicketkeeper. Yeah, uh, uh, Alex Alex Stewart's dad. Uh, Alex, Alex Stewart's dad, and his dad was Mickey Stewart. That's right. Um, he was um, he was a wicketkeeper. And I'm any Glamorgan sure. players catch your eye? Any 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 memories of any Glamorgan players? Oh, there was some strange opening batsman called Bernard Hedges, I remember, <laughs> um, and, um, and Gilbert Parkhouse. In the book, I think Greg suggests that the first girl you kissed was a Welsh girl. Is there any truth in that? Um, I do remember a you know lovely voluptuous girl that uh, I used to go and um, just talk to and kiss and then come home, um, sort of uh, um, back in uh, um, sort of fifty eight fifty nine. Any other abiding memories of your stay in Wales, uh, Tony? Yes, yeah. Well, um, the big things I remember outside of Cardiff, um, uh, Barry, when we used to go to the beach. And, uh, I can remember um, picnics at uh, Caffili Castle. We we lived in a semi-detached house, and um, my next door neighbour was uh, uh, was a fellow called Jimmy. I can't remember his second name. Um, he was he was just the loveliest kid, a talented sports person, but he was an epileptic. And um, and I can remember on a couple of occasions, you know, he'd have a fit, and you know, we just have to make sure that um, he didn't swallow his tongue. Um, but um, and he and uh, another fellow um, just further down Lan Eden Road and um, off the left as you go down the Lan Eden Road, um, there was a uh, um, a housing estate and there was a fellow there and he probably went to Hawaii as well um, called Paul Bachelor. Remember that? Um, so across the road from us um, in 52 Lan Eden Road. Um, it was just open fields. Um, you know, when I went back in 59, it was all built in and uh, um, quite ghastly. And I, you know, we got, we got lost. But uh, we used to just walk across the road with our cricket gear um, uh, through the fields and up to, um, I don't know, I just, somehow I think it was um, some sort of a reservoir or water tower. Um, and there was um, nicely mown open um, grasslands there. So, I mean, we just used to set up at some stumps and uh, um, probably with a few other boys, um, we, we'd play cricket. And um, 
you know, I mean, in the summer twilight, um, I mean, you play till sort of nine o'clock at night, you know, sort of constantly. I mean, that's my only real recollections of, uh, of playing cricket in, um, in Wales. The family um, emigrated to Australia in 1959. Nah, well, I wouldn't call it emigrating. I mean, dad, dad was, um, dad was sent there, sent to Brisbane to um, open up um, Hoover offices in Queensland. There weren't any, they were in Sydney and they were in Melbourne, but they weren't in Queensland. So dad flew over ahead of time. I mean, he just gathered us around one day and said, well, okay, I've got this opportunity. What do you think about it? You know, I talked to my mum so much later and she said, Anthony, I thought we were only going there for three years, but I'm going to die here. Um, and uh, so he flew ahead of us. And um, I really don't think emigrating is going first class in the, uh, in, uh, in the Orchides um, uh, P&O liner. We were five, six weeks at sea. You know, all the uh, fabulous um, places, you know, sort of going through the Mediterranean and uh, crossing the equator. And, uh, um, and I actually became the, uh, the ping pong champion of the boat. And your first impressions of Australia as a, as a boy? I guess I was awestruck. It was so dip, so different, and um, and 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 just going through the uh, uh, the Sydney Heads, in through the Sydney Harbour, you know, just a, a, an amazing time. Um, and then we jumped on a uh, uh, on a plane and, and flew to Brisbane um, um, to be with our dad for the uh, for the first time in months and months and months. Fair to say, arriving in Australia, your sporting life took off is, is would that be true oh yeah i mean most most definitely i went to church of england grammar school um in brisbane in late 59 um it's the middle of summer um hot as all buggery um and um <clears throat> this young fellow um who i was sitting next to uh, because the it was the end of um uh of the term and the form cricket championships were 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 coming up and um, he said, oh, do you play cricket? And I uh, said, yeah, well, I bowl a bit. And we won it. There was this strange, bloody, um, pommy left-hand bowler that bloody just um, really decimated the whole lot. Yeah, when you talk about memory, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that that particular fellow reminded me. We, we've mentioned so, your height a couple of times already, Tony. How tall, yeah. how tall were you then? Had you finished growing or are you still growing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I finished growing when I was about 14. I was... Yeah, six foot five, yeah. Did, um, did, did you always feel like you wanted to bowl fast? Was that what you wanted to do? Yeah, because I, 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 I suddenly realised that I was pretty good at it and having the height and, um, and the left hand. You know, I can remember when I, um, and at school cricket, um, you know, I mean, I just had this magic um, inswinger, and uh, you know, and and if you go through the scorebooks of uh, 263 when uh, um, you know we won premierships at school in uh, in the first eleven both years, I mean, the majority of my wickets um, were either LBW or bold from massive inswinging, um, and that held me in good stead um, in in club cricket also. Uh, and I can remember um, in my first season um, of um, Sheffield Shield, 
um, I went to um, play New South Wales in Sydney um, and Alan Davidson took me aside. And now, I mean, he had a beautiful in-swinger, a lovely action, you know, totally side on, swung in when he wanted it to. And Alan was a got... left arm as well, yes? Oh, right. crikey, yeah. 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 And, and, and my lasting memory of, um, of Test Match Cricket, 58-59, uh, sort of Christmas in, uh, in the UK, and um, I listened to the, uh, the Test Matches on, um, on the radio, and I can always remember Alan Davidson um, in the first few overs. He had England, but he three for seven. We do it the other way around. Alan Davidson said to me, he said, you bowl too many in-swingers. You know, that needs to be your surprise ball. What you need to do is, uh, as a left-hand bowler bowling to a right-hander, is just go across, 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 look for the nick, and then your surprise ball is the in-swinger, which you then bring back, get a LBW or bowl. And it was probably the best advice I ever received in my life. Do you want to say a little bit about your progression into sort of professional uh, paid cricket in, in that period in the early 60s? Paid? We got $10 a bloody day and did our own laundry. God, you know, and I can remember my first trip um, to Perth um, against this gun buddy um, West Australian side, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we were on the, uh, the Red Eye special on Sunday night coming back to Brisbane, and we only got 30 bucks because, Betty, you know, we didn't play four days. But, yeah, so um, I played while I was still at school. Um, I played some, some first grade um, club cricket for Eastern Suburbs in Brisbane. Uh, Peter Birch was my captain, as I said previously. And um, I played against um, um, Ken Mackay and Wally Grout, the Australian wicketkeeper, um, in that very first match. Here I was playing my first game of first grade cricket. Um, I'm 17. And I'm playing with and against three test players, um, you know, and a couple of Sheffield Shield players. I mean, that's the big difference. I mean, you get tested. In Sheffield Shield these days, um, there's a famous commentator here who um, <clears throat> he talks about um, people of, of no account being Neville nobodies. And um, I mean, it's a whole heap of Neville nobodies playing Neville nobodies. And, uh, you know, and um, you, you get five wickets and um, who have you got out? No one of any account. And then um, and you get a hundred and who did you get the runs against? Anyway, <clears throat> um, I played that match um, and I can remember we lost on the first innings by three runs. Um, and I think that's why Peter Burge always hated me because I got run out um, at the 10th wicket. And uh, in the second innings, um, I opened the bowling um, they decide that Wally Grout is going to open the batting. I bowl five eight-ball overs for 40 runs. Um, and as a 17-year-old, I could have gone home with my tail between my legs. But Wally came up to me and he said, mate, he said, don't worry. That's just the way I bat. And by the way, you bowl pretty well. And, you know, here we are 50 years later, um, 60 years later. And I still remember that. You know, I can remember one particular match. I got this fellow out and bloody, uh, for naught. And um, all my um, teammates, they, you know, they went berserk. And um, I said, okay, well, you know, what was so special there? 
He said, that's Butcher Egan. You knocked him over for a duck. But he, you know, don't eat it. Yeah. And I mean, you just didn't know. Um, so you were learning, you know, and then you'd, um, and in those days, um, even in club cricket, I mean, you'd, um, you'd sit around at stumps and have a beer with the opposition and, um, and talk about, you know, what you'd done in the match and there might be a shield player there and uh, you've had to work hard to, to get him out and, um, and he says nice things to you. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a continual learning curve. And then I got called up, you know, after being probably the top wicket taker um, in Brisbane Club Cricket in um, 63, 64, 64, 65. And um, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, uh, I'm learning to be a soldier. In 1965, there was um, national service had been put into place by the, uh, uh, by the federal government and um, they picked... Uh, various numbers which related to dates in, in the year. So everyone that turned 20 that, sh that year was, uh, uh, was a candidate to be uh, picked out of the hat. And um, um, in my case, the 6th of August came up and uh, I was in the army. Um, um, did my uh, recruit training and core training um, at a place uh, north of Sydney called Singleton. And then I was asked to... Um, um, given a choice of where I wanted to be, and uh, um, I'd uh, I'd already picked infantry, so I said, "Well, I'd like to go to two RAR in Brisbane, so that uh, on weekends off um, I can play club cricket." Two RAR were um, slated as next to go to Vietnam, so um, I spent a lot of my time um, training for that, going to uh, out into the bush um, and on exercises and into the uh, Canungra Jungle Training Centre. And then in May, I think it was May, May 67, um, jumped on board HMAS Sydney aircraft carrier. And 10 days later, um, uh, I was there. You know, we uh, um, disembarked via Chinook helicopter um, straight into the uh, Australian Task Force camp at Nui Dat. When I got home in 68, I got picked um, in, um, in a Queensland under 23 side, um, and went to Sydney. Um, and, um, we were playing for what they call the Sid Gregory cup and we hadn't won it for years. So I get to Sydney and, um, and I'm, um, playing against, um, a young Gary Gilmore, um, a young David Colley, a young Bruce Francis, a young Peter Tui, and, uh, <clears throat> and we beat them. One of the reasons why I was told I wasn't getting picked was I wasn't fit enough. But shit, buddy, I'd, uh, I'd been in Vietnam for um, sort of 12 months. I couldn't have been any fitter. I didn't get picked in um, um, 68, 69. I didn't get picked in 69, 70. And then Tom Graveney came over as captain coach of, um, of Queensland. And I was in the Sheffield Shield squad. Um, and um, I just bowled to him in the nets and uh, um, whistled a few past his chest and um, uh, in, uh, in the 70s, 71 season. So I'd played 68 and 69 at sub-districts rugby um, and then um, 70 and 71, um, um, first grade with, with Souths. 
Um, but I was finding that with a me the measured run-up um, for a fast bowler was a totally different action to running from ruck to ruck and scrum to scrum. And, uh, um, and um, I was just getting sore shins. Um, so I said, well, you know, I'm not going to play rugby anymore. I finally got um, picked to play for Queensland for the 70-71 season. Slow start, got lots of edges. Um, I can remember playing um, South Australia and in successive balls, I got um, Ian Chappell dropped on the fence and then they ran a single and then the next ball, Barry Richards has um, nicked me to gully and that got dropped too. Yeah, I didn't get many wickets to start off with. You know, they gradually came. Um, I sort of had my first match in Perth, you know, which was that beautiful, hard, bouncy wicket, um, and got my first fifa. And um, all of a sudden, um, I'm, I think I'm, I'm sort of being talked about. Ray Lingworth's side was here, um, and John Snow was sort of making mincemeat of, uh, of a lot of our batsmen. I think it was the fifth test match. It was the sixth test match series. I think the fifth test match got washed out completely in, in um, Melbourne. Um, and they decided they'd run a seventh. And the series was, um, was even. And um, I think at that stage, we had the ashes and we only needed to draw or win the last one, the seventh test and we retain the ashes. Barry Richards, um, part of his, um, his contract was to write for newspapers. And um, he wrote an article saying that um, uh, the bowler in, in Australia that he least liked to face was me. And, um, and I'm pretty sure that had an impact, but I'm also pretty sure that um, he played for South Australia. They had five home matches um, in Adelaide and Sir Donald Bradman lived in Adelaide and used to go to all the Shield matches. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, they had a chat. And, um, all of a sudden, I'm playing in the seventh test match. How does the call come, Tony? Does somebody give you a ring? Does somebody speak to you saying, we want to put you in for the Ashes test? It's my memory again. Um, I've still got a letter um, of, uh, of selection. You know, maybe someone rang me, I don't know. Maybe a newspaper got the story and, um, and they rang me. It must have been in a, a really proud moment for you. Stephen, um, all my life, I've never really gone overboard on um, things that I've done. Um, you know, I mean, I was never, even though I was a top wicket taker in Brisbane club cricket, I mean, it never really rankled me that I didn't get picked to play for Queensland. I think the only time I remember getting a bit pissed off was in Vietnam and um, <clears throat> I'd get um, letters or messages saying that so-and-so had been picked to open the bowling for Queensland. And I would think to myself, shit, I wish I was there. You know, I'm 10 times better than those pricks. Um, and uh, I mean, that's the only time I can remember. You know, and... Um, it didn't worry me greatly when I didn't get picked in 68, 69 um, after um, that Colts match or 69, 70. When I got picked in 70, 71, it's just a matter of turning up and playing. I mean, I, I mean, I think I was pretty happy that I got picked to play for Australia, you know, and all the attention and, um, you know, and photographers coming to my flat and, um, 
getting pictures of me bloody frying some eggs and uh, that sort of stuff. How much do you remember of the game? Very little. People say to me, you must have been so proud walking on that ground in your bag of green. Um, I don't even remember wearing it. You know, I mean, in those days, we had those silly little bloody uh, um, Terry Towing bloody hats, you know, that we used to wear. And would, would, I've um, seen the video. That's what you were wearing in the match. Do you remember Ray Illingworth leading the England team off the field? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think then, um, oh, shit, this is good. I hope he doesn't come back on because that means uh, they forfeit the match and we keep the ashes. But then uh, then he uh, brought them back on and uh, and won the game, you know. And, I mean, it was Terry Jenner and I at the end. We were nine for, I think, we only got done by about 30 runs. And uh, and then um, finally he got out and I thought, oh, shit, he could have won this. Um, but not to be. John Snow was the, uh, I think the, the reason why the England team left the field. He'd, he'd, uh, I think. He'd yeah. Hit- well, well, he'd, he'd hit Terry Jenner on the, uh, on the head, um, and opened him up uh, with a bounce, and then, um, and then he went down to the fence, and um, he got heckled, and um, you know they, uh, they threw. Um, can, beer cans at him. I mean, I think they made sure that we emptied them first. Um, but, uh, um, and I mean, I think he was, from memory, um, surrounded by dozens and dozens of, um, of beer cans and uh, Ray Illingworth complained to the, uh, uh, to the umpire and uh, um, they said, there's nothing we can do about that. And uh, he said, well, fix it off um, because we're all going off. Uh, if you don't fix it, we're not coming back on. Inside the the cover of um, uh, the book about your your story and bring the darkness home, there's a, a recreation of the scoreboard, the first innings, England's first innings. Yeah. Um, some of the names on the England team are very familiar to me: Keith Fletcher, Basil Oliveira, Alan Knox, yeah, Darling, John Edwards. Which are the which of the players on in that England team kind of um, impressed you the most? Well, um, Boycott wasn't playing. I bowled to him in Queensland when Queensland played the MCC, and uh, I would say that he was the probably the hardest batsman I've ever had to bowl to. And I think I would have been thankful that he wasn't in the side. Alan Knott was um, I just loved him to death. He was a bloody good wicketkeeper and a fabulous fellow. Um, I got to know Bobby Taylor later, um, and he was uh, of, the, of the same ilk. Snowy didn't really get to know him all that well. Bobby Willis, um, I, I got to know quite well, and um, and also on the 74-75 tour. You've mentioned some of the England players. What about the Australian sides that, that you were there with? I believe it was Ian Chappell's first uh, yeah, test match as captain. Yeah, Ian Chappell and Greg Chappell are probably um, still my greatest friends from, uh, um, from cricket. Um, Greg was my captain um, for Queensland for my last two seasons. Um, and we've remained friends um, ever since um, and, um, and very, very close. Um, um, Marshy, um, Dennis Lilly, um, uh, I caught up with um, Lilly, Massey, um, Ross Edwards, uh, Kim Hughes, um, John Inverarity, um, in Perth, um, uh, Christmas before last. And, uh, I mean, it's 
I think cricket friends um, are like army friends. You you live and breathe, you know, with them um, um, day after day, and um, and um, you never lose those. Redpath, um, he was a good bloke. Stacky, you know, I mean, I, when I played that second Test match, Gary Gilmore, um, yeah, I mean, Gary Gary uh, O'Keefe, when he talks about Gary Gilmore, who's now passed on. Um, said um, he was uh, the greatest swing bowler I ever saw. He said that he, he could swing a brick. Um, he was that good. Um, Maxie Walker, again, someone else that's gone. Terry Jenner, um, he's gone too. Two of the names that still uh, are enough to set the fear of any England uh, cricketing fan uh, going were Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson. Uh, you opened the bowling in that uh, seventh test match with Dennis. You also played your last season opening the bowling with Jeff Thompson at Queensland. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like watching them bowl and, and how they bowled? Lily, much later. I mean, if um, if you read what um, and talk about, uh, you know, and listen to what um, Greg and Ian say, um, um, I sort of out-bowled him um, in that test match. You know, if you look at the... Uh, the number of overs bowled in the second innings, you know, um, you know, I think I've I've bowled about twenty six, and Dennis has only bowled, you know, sort of thirteen. You know, I can't remember. The only problem was that uh, I only got one more Test wicket, and he got about another three hundred and fifty. Um, uh, you know, I mean, he he was just a tear away then, um, learning his craft, and it really wasn't until. And he was such a tear away. He put so much pressure on his back. And um, he had to give it away for about a year, have spinal surgery, and learn to bowl all over again. Um, and if you look at his, his bowling action from prior to surgery to after surgery, his, his new bowling action was just perfectly side-on um, and, um, um, and stress-free. And um, that's when he became a really great bowler. And uh, <clears throat> that 74-75 season, um, when, uh, when he um, was his first series back, um, and he bowled with Jeffrey, and uh, <clears throat> he probably um, only got maybe two wickets just about every innings, but he got them every innings and uh, you know, probably ended up this, the series with 20 or 30 wickets. Um, and it was Jeffrey that uh, sort of frightened the bejesus out of um, out of the English team um, with just his his pace. I'll always say that when I played against him for New South Wales and with him for Queensland uh, um, on that hard wicket at Perth, he's hit the side screen on the fall with a short and and just a lovely lovely bloke. I mean, both great fellows um, and. Um, uh, and Jeffrey just, he just didn't want to train. I mean, he, he just had the perfect physique for what he did. When you look at him strip, um, you know, he's just massive shoulders and um, very tight, but he core um, and strong legs. He just, he just let it go, you know. And uh, I can remember when he first came to Brisbane and um, he was uh, playing club cricket. And Peter Bird should go out and, uh, and watch him play. And then he'd come back and Greg Jappel was part of the, uh, 
um, the selection committee. And um, Bertie'd say to Greg, he said, oh, he said, I can't pick this bloke. He said, he's got no idea where the ball's going. And Greg said to Bertie, he said, mate, he said, I don't care what you say. If Jeffrey doesn't know where the ball's going, how are the batsmen going to know? And, uh, I mean, he just proved it time and time and time again. You've mentioned a little bit already, Tony, how things that were happening in your life weren't great through the period sort of when you finished your cricketing career in the mid-70s. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that period, post-cricket, and, and what happened to you? Well, well, one of the major um, symptoms is relationship difficulty. You don't know you're doing it. You know, when you say stuff and it just blurts out, half the time you, you, you don't really know that you've done something um, antisocial. One of the loneliest points in your story described by Greg in the book is when you've had mountain debts, your businesses have failed, you've, you, you, your marriage has, has ended um, and you, you end up living in, in your mum's garage. Yes. So, yeah, I lost my house, lost my business premises, um, I lost everything. And then, you know, I had a nine-year-old, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, and um, as I say, how I got through the 90s um, is, is, is a blur. Did I think about topping myself? I don't know. You know, it's quite possible. I mean, you couldn't have really been lower uh, than I was. Or maybe sort of back in 1990 when the car group went belly up. Um, um, <clears throat> when I was living off the smell of an oily rag, baked beans on toast was a delicacy. And... Uh, <clears throat> I think my, one of my saving graces was um, coaching my son and his mates uh, at cricket. And then I got a call, you know, you're the only Vietnam veteran that's played test cricket. We run this international defence cricket challenge in Canberra and we'd like you to be our guest. I'd never marched in an Anzac I mean, I've never wanted to, never been in a dressing room. Um, people keep saying they want to go back to Vietnam. And I thought, no, 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 been there and done that. For half an hour, we talked, and all they wanted to do was talk about cricket. I never got a chance to medal. And um, all of a sudden, you know, these Vietnam veterans said, you've got PTSD. And they said, well, we can get you a pension. So um, they sent me off to be properly diagnosed. That happened. And then, you know, I got a pension and a gold card. By then, my knees were well and truly stuffed. Um, I couldn't stand still for any longer than 60 seconds without being in abject pain. I couldn't work any further than 50 to 100 metres. The gold card allowed me to have my right one replaced in um, early 2009. By that time, I'd done a lot of research on PTSD. I knew how my life had been affected by what a lot of the symptoms um, had caused. And then I got a call from um, the colonels again. Oh, we've got the uh, 2009 International IDCC coming up. Will you be the guest speaker at um, the awards night and talk about your um, army service and your cricket career? And I said, yeah, fine. So I did that and um, I told them that uh, 12 months in Vietnam was good training to be in Ian Chapel dressing room. And I got a standing ovation from four or 500 um, global defence cricketers. 
So I then went back to the Sunshine Coast, had my second knee replaced. And while I lay in hospital, um, I thought about, well, what can I do now? Um, that when stamps or for PDS on my mind, the only trouble was um, dating back from 1990, um, I had debts of about $80,000. So for me to start Stand Tall for PDS or PDS Foundation Limited, I had to become solvent. So um, an accountancy friend of mine said, uh, get me a letter from your uh, psychiatrist and um, I can go to the Australian tax office and get most. There was $40,000 worth of fines in there. Um, <coughs> and um, he got most of that waived. One of the colonels went to the Australian Cricketers Association um, and got me $20,000 from their hardship fund. And another friend went to the Kerry Packer Foundation. He took care of the rest. And all of a sudden I was solvent and um, we could start um, this charity. And what does the charity do, Tony? What, what's its... Well, well, ostensibly, you know, I mean, as I lay in hospital, I thought about the tens of thousands of other Vietnam veterans who, like me, had been undiagnosed, had no idea what their problems in their life were. Um, Stand Tall for PTS um, was all about um, awareness. Um, there was this massive stigma attached to it. And um, 25 million Australians had no idea what PTSD was. And we came up with the idea of a, of a convoy of military and first responder vehicles travelling from Brisbane down to Sydney, across to Canberra and into Melbourne, uh, just spreading the words. And we tied in with the Invictus Games and took this massive Invictus flag around the country with us, got it signed by hundreds and hundreds of celebrities, people and Australians, and presented it to the, uh, the Australian Invictus team in Parramatta. You moved to Australia in 1959. You fought on behalf of Australia in the Vietnam War. You played cricket in an Ashes Test for Australia in 1971, and yet you weren't made an Australian citizen until 2017. No, well, Sally and I wanted to go to uh, the UK, and my English passport had run out. She said about um, helping me apply for a new passport, and we said, well, we might as well apply for an Australian one at the same time. But the only way I could get an Australian passport was to be an Australian citizen. So we then applied for that. And, um, you know, as a result of getting a new Australian passport, I became an Australian citizen. I mean, I, I'd always thought, well, you know, sort of back in the day, I mean, if, if um, the Australian government could send me to war and Sir Donald Bradman could pick me to play cricket for Australia, I was an Australian. But uh, um, that's not the case. Is there any bitterness about that for you, Tony? You don't sound like a bitter man at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I keep saying to you and everyone I talk to that um, it is what it is. You know, I mean, I never go out of my way to aspire um, to um, do things or, or be this or be that. Last Thursday, I got a... Uh, a phone call from uh, a flight lieutenant in the um, Royal Australian Air Force, and she said, "Oh, I'm coming to um, I'm coming to Brisbane on um, the, 20, the 24th of March for your uh, conference." Um, and I said, "Oh, that sounds good." 
And she says, oh, and I'm bringing the governor general with me. Um, she's his, she was his aide-de-camp. So the governor general of Australia um, is coming to Brisbane to open up the forum in, um, in March. I, I don't know if you wanted to say a few words about um, your family. I know your wife very sadly passed away a few years ago. Yeah, um, yeah well... Your children, well, my, are still in touch with them? I mean, my three best friends are my, are my three kids. They um, live close by. Um, my son's got um, grandchildren. Um, just um, um, had a new baby last week. And one of my daughters lived here with, uh, with me uh, in this house. And my other daughter lives down the road with, uh, with her son. So, you know, we're very, very tight-knit. Um, you know, I mean, I mellowed incredibly. Um, you know, I mean, the big story in my life was, uh, um, was engaging with Sally. 2015, um, Australia versus New Zealand at the Gabba. Anzac Test match became um, the opening ceremony was very military oriented. And, uh, <clears throat> um, and I was part of that. Um, and then I got to do an interview with um, Jim Maxwell on ABC Radio um, on the Sunday, uh, during the Sunday tea time. He interviewed me a lot about Stan Tall and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Sally's sister in Perth heard it um, and then said to Sally, you've got to listen to this. Sally then sent me an email. Um, we spent hours and hours on the phone. And the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, she's my inspiration. Um, you know, I mean, the feelings I've got for her um, are deeper than, you know, I could ever have imagined I'd feel. And, uh, but um, you know, tyranny of distance um, um, is a pain in the ass. But, uh, you know, we'll get through it. You mentioned that you came back to England in 2019 with Sally. Did you have a chance to come back to Wales? I took um, Sally down to Highcliffe um, and then we drove to from Highcliffe, um, Bournemouth to Cardiff. I showed her the house I lived in in, um, in Highcliffe. Um, I showed her 52 Lanedon Road, um, but it was all so built up and confusing. And um, we spent some time in Cardiff Castle and had a good look around outside uh, the old Cardiff Arms Park and in wonderment. There's a song that you use quite a lot on your publicity material for the charity. I believe it's a song that you wrote. Do you want to yes. tell us a little bit about that, how you came to write it and, and how it now uh, is used by the charity? Well, yeah, we, I mean, I'm in advertising. Well, I was, I still am. Um, and, um, and I can just see the benefit of of doing these sorts of things. And uh, I sort of half wrote a song, which wasn't all that good. But then, you know, and I just said to this fellow, Greville Patterson and uh, um, Gary Smith, I've got the basis of this song, you know, I just think it needs to be commercialized. And, that, and they've just come up with, uh, with the most incredible song. I mean, it tells a story. And, uh, you know, we got involved with this photographer who who just did an amazing um, series of black and white pictures. Sally's in it. People hear it for the first time and uh, say, oh, that brought tears to my eyes. So we're just about getting the message out there and doing our best. I am now, a bit of trivia for you, I am now the only 
living person in the whole world that's played test cricket and fought in a theatre of war. Not just Australia, the world. Tony, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you ever so much. <laughs> okay. See you, Stephen. Many, many thanks to Tony for sharing his story with us. For those interested in the work of his charity, Stand Tall for PTS, you can find links in the notes accompanying the episode, or you can go to www.standtall4, that's number four, standtall4pts.org. You can hear Tony talking on the Once Upon a Time in the Ashes podcast at their website. For those interested in the organisations campaigning around post-traumatic stress in the UK, you can go to www.combatstress.org.uk. We thought it would be nice to finish by listening to the song written by Tony, which now acts as an advertisement for the work of his charity. Next week, join us when we'll be talking to the head of Women and Girls Elite Cricketing Pathway in Wales, Amy Rees. She will no doubt be giving us some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Hoivaur, bye for now. There's a song that says it's a wonderful world The sights I have seen make your hair curl So I keep to myself, can't share or confide Don't want to seem weak, cause I got my pride People around me just don't understand Think life should be simple and go to a plan But the order of things is often destroyed when the forces of evil or fate are employed I've seen it all Heading my back to the wall Seen more wrong than right Heard screams in the night I still see my mates fall And the of the night, the depression, the fear, anger and rage, heartache and grief, back on the bottle to get some relief, the sound of a chopper whirring above, when you're frozen in terror, it's hard to show love, the flashbacks that take me back, am I still there, does anyone know, does anyone know? I've seen it all Head my back to the wall Seen more wrong than right Heard screams in the night Still see my mates fall And the battleground now Move on to hell How Rise not to fall
Stori yw'r rhan i gyda ni. Mae croeswch i gysylltu e-bosiwch mwcpod1921 at gmail.com neu ewch i'n tudalu'n Facebook Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast neu i'n tudalu'n Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod. <laughs>